0: Climbing Gold is a production of duct tape and beer, with support from the North Face. Never stop exploring. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. Chorus, explore perfection. An element, restoring health through hydration. Did you remember the first time you were filmed for your climbing? I don't remember for sure, but I know early on. Uh, I did a little thing in Masters of Stone Six with Eric Perlman. It was very exciting because I'd grown up seeing the Masters of Stone movies, <laughs> and uh, and he filmed me soloing on the Rosterman Astroman, which were two of the first big solos that I did in 2006 or seven or something seven, 2007, I guess. Uh, so I remember that being a big moment for me because I was like, I made it into my childhood movies, you know. And not that Masters of Stone Six was a was a international bestseller or anything. You know, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw it, but still, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> How scrappy was it? Oh, I mean, it wasn't... I mean, well, in a way, it was scrappy in that the equipment was a lot worse than it is today. But it was the same setup. I mean, it was one guy hanging on a rope above me filming, which is basically what I do filming now. It's just that the cameras are better.
1: One thing I was thinking about is that it kind of seems like this is probably the golden era if you are, like, a creative in adventure media. Like, this summer... You know, Teton Gravity Research has the edge of the earth on HBO, and then Jimmy Chin's got the edge of the unknown on Disney+. And and obviously these are bigger names inside of the community, but there's a whole industry around adventure filmmaking that was was kind of there 10 years ago, but not like it is now. And I guess, like, from your perspective, as someone who's benefited greatly from it, um, does it seem like it is sort of this, like, crazy golden era?
0: Yeah, I know what you mean it Does seem like a big moment for outdoor adventure filmmaking, though. Actually, in my case, I didn't benefit because I would have had a show called uh, On the Edge with Alex Honnold. But there's so many other shows about the edge, <laughs> the Jimmy Show and and the, and the HBO show that uh, that they killed they it. They ruined I think it. Now it's called uh, now it's maybe called The Ascent with Alex Honnold. But um, that that was the trip we did to Greenland this summer. Yeah, I mean it's true that more adventure television is being made now than probably ever before. But you know, in the early two thousands they were just starting to use internet on some of the big expeditions. You know, there was quite a bit of money going into some of those original big wall expeditions, like Mark Sennett going to polar suns spire and stuff and, and Baffin. And I don't know, there have been other moments in, in sort of exploration like that where there's suddenly a bunch of money getting put into it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that like, it's definitely easier to film climbing now than it ever has been just because cameras are physically smaller and, memory cards are bigger you know everything about it is like lighter and easier yeah you know I, I can make a legitimate climbing film on just my phone and and it would be higher quality than anything they made ten years ago
1: That's a really good point you made earlier just like how you know really adventure has always been wrapped up with media like I think about some of the exped- like the expeditions of sort of um, that golden era and sort of exploration in the early 1900s late 1800s and in like newspapers we're actually investing in those expeditions to the poles or whatever it was so that they could actually send a photographer with them, tell that story when those people came back and they'd sell a gajillion newspapers. That that's always been a part of any sort of adventure is documenting
0: it. Yeah, I mean, exploration or adventure has always required financing in some way because it's not inherently lucrative. So it's like you always need some kind of sponsor or some kind of backer. And so storytelling is the easiest way to get that kind of backing. What are the paths to becoming a climbing photographer, cinematographer? I think there are two main avenues. One, you're either a really skilled filmmaker where you know how to capture the essence of a story and document it well, and you're technically really gifted with the camera. And, you know, you just know how to get the shot and it's going to look epic. And you know which shots to get. The other path is being a really skilled outdoor person where you're, very fast, always able to keep up, able to carry heavy loads, always able to get out front and get the shot. And I think that if you're really skilled at getting into the right positions, then you can kind of compensate a little bit for your technical skill. And then ideally, you're good at both. I mean, and that's where you have somebody like Jimmy Chin, let's say, who's very good at getting into positions. I mean, he's a very skilled mountain athlete. And then, I mean, I don't know, you know, he's not technically the best camera person. Like, he definitely doesn't know how to work all the buttons, but he does know how to work the <laughs> buttons well enough that, that he can get a shot. And so, you know, he kind of combines both of those where he's really good at the access, but he's also really good at getting the nice shot. Who, who are we going to talk to today? Today we're talking to Colette McInerney and Austin Sidak. Austin is a really talented mountain athlete. I mean, I don't know what you call that, somebody who's a really good mountain climber, really fit. And I'm actually not positive, but I feel like he's been a photographer, videographer for as long as he's been a climber, basically. And Colette is a professional
1: climber, photographer, and filmmaker who helped create Pretty Strong, a climbing film featuring all women in front of and behind the camera. For so many, Instagram is the portal into the lives of these outdoor creatives. We see the images and the films they create, but it can be a bit of a mystery for how it all works behind the lens on a logistical
0: and professional level. So, let's dive in. I'm Alex Honnold. I'm Fitzgehall. You're listening to Climbing Gold. Yeah. Well, so, um, do, do you know what we're doing today? Do you need any uh briefing, or are you just are you ready just to chit chat?
2: I mean, I'm assuming that we're going to talk about stuff I know. I hope you're not going to ask me like off, <laughs> off the fringe <laughs> questions that I don't know anything about. I'll just lead the Fifth.
0: Oh uh, no! Uh, this is a uh, quantum <laughs> physics. Yeah, yeah, this is uh This is the the esoterica episode where we we only get into the nature of the universe.
2: Dude, you got the wrong wrong girl. <laughs> or I can yeah. tell you what I think, but it's gonna be a waste of everyone's time.
0: <laughs> no, that that would basically be a Joe Rogan podcast right there.
2: Yeah, I mean I microdose before I got here. What about you guys? <laughs> yeah, classic. My name's Colette McInerney, originally from Nashville, Tennessee. been climbing for a little over 20 years now, I suppose. Uh, started climbing when I was in college, moved out west for a year or two, <laughs> intending to move back to New York where I went to school and quote unquote get a real job and just continued to stay out west. About probably like six or seven years into my climbing, I started doing more, um, photography and video work through climbing. And then, yeah, I kind of used that as a way to stay on the road and the way to keep kind of living a free lifestyle, if you will. And then I have continued doing that work for the last 12 years or 11 years or something. It was sort of at a time when online content was becoming like the thing it was Momentum Video Mag and I was about to ask
0: if you ever shot yeah. for Momentum Video Magazine. Oh, yeah. To that me, that the represents first the first of yeah, yeah classic, classic. That's yeah. so old school.
2: Totally, so, like, Mike Call gave um, <laughs> me and my partner at the time a camera, and we're like, hey, we need content. We're gonna like pay you guys whatever. It'll keep you on the road, and so we just started shooting.
1: Colette, through the years, you've you've shot on a variety of projects, like um, from Real Rock to Epic TV. Uh, what are some things in the in the past few years that people? Um, might have seen that you've
2: worked on pretty strong, which is an all-women's climbing film that came out in 2020. Did that with a uh, Never Not Collective, the, um, our all-women's production team. There hadn't been a film that was all women made by all women. So that was our goal. We started it in 2017, finished it in 2020. Um, and it got a pretty big response, definitely from more the internal climbing community, not like on a huge commercial scale, but we you know, sold out Boulder theater and it was our first short film. And so we did get a lot of praise for that. And then the following year I shot on the HBO edge of the earth um, and I did a shoot in Kyrgyzstan Just as a filmer, not a director or any editing or anything like that. Just uh, a on-the-ground shooter. And that obviously has gotten big publicity because it's through HBO and on major TV networks and all that sort of stuff.
0: Like when people... Like sometimes I have like a Lyft driver or somebody be like, oh, you know, do you travel as a climber? And it's easy for me to say I've put up new routes on all seven continents. Like I've done First ascents everywhere. You know, and it's like kind of a simple... Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, I could say that I've basically been climbing full time for 20 years and traveling and doing all that. Or you're just mm-hmm. like, you know what? New routes, seven continents. There you go. People are like, damn, that's so much. Like, you know, do you have a, yeah. like an easy summary of, of where you've worked or how or types of projects or, you know, like how would. Because like, when you talk about living on the road for the last 20 mm-hmm. years, like I, I know what that means because I've been doing the same thing. But for somebody listening, like what does that actually mean?
2: Yeah. I mean, I haven't lived in the same place For more than three months in 20 years, if that hits harder.
0: (laughs) That is so grim, actually. That kind of makes me a little sad.
2: (laughs) Like I've, you know, I've lived in Japan, I've lived in Finland, I've lived in Sweden, I've been I've lived in Spain, but usually it's like three months, four, and then I'm out of there for at least six weeks, at least two months. So there's not a consistency. You know, I don't own any big piece of furniture. I don't know. I'm comfortable in movement. Um, I find a lot of inspiration when things change, when I'm in the same place too long, I, I need like outside influences to keep me motivated and I need outside things coming in to like, keep me psyched and keep my creativity moving when I'm in the same thing. And in the same routine, there are benefits that it brings to my life, but I feel certain things sort of drop off in my character and things that sort of make me happy. And I think that's why I get a little bit addicted to what's the next thing. And then ultimately I sort of created a life around it. Right. So then my work became that my friend group became that. And then it becomes a little more of a chicken and an egg situation, as well as um, a lifestyle that you've made comfortable because of those things. You kind of start to feel a little, in its own weird way stuck, because it's like, well, what am I going to do if I'm not traveling to this place to shoot this thing or whatever? Because that's what I've done for the last 15 years.
0: And and each one of those is leaving a trail of broken hearts behind you.
2: So many broken <laughs> yeah. hearts. That's my other movie coming out. <laughs> It'd be a great movie, just compelling.
0: <laughs> it could be a Hollywood rom-com sort of deal.
2: Oh, yeah, it could get dark.
0: <laughs> you'd meet uh, you'd meet Jake Gyllenhaal at some point.
2: Ooh, I'll do it for that.
0: That's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so it all sounds pretty glamorous. Being a professional climber, professional videographer, photographer—like—is—is is it a glamorous lifestyle? Is it cool?
2: Hmm. Uh, yeah. At times, it's cool. There's moments of glamour, but I—I I mean, no, probably not compared to. Uh, really glamorous lifestyles you know i just showered at the 24-hour fitness before this it's that sort of stuff
0: (laughs) that's why you look (laughs) Um, so fresh
2: (laughs) i'm looking fresh and you know the strawberries that i was going to put in my yogurt this morning had mold on them because our refrigerator in our van that we're living in since may died a long time ago and we just keep ice in it um so all there's all of the not glamorous things of being on the road right um But I obviously have gotten to travel to all these crazy places. And when you're on a big shoot or when you're like flying around somewhere cool, yeah, there's like an air of glamour there for sure. Work and production is like a hustle. I mean, you've been on some of those shoots and as much as it's fun and you're getting to do what you want, it's like, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of carrying bags and shuffling things. And it's like not that glamorous when it's happening. It's like a lot of hard work
0: more manual labor or artistry
2: it's probably 50 50 or maybe leaning on the <laughs> the can you carry heavy stuff i mean i've been told by lead photographers like hey sorry i'm gonna hire 22 year old joe schmo because he's like a buck 80 and 6 2 and he can literally carry more shit than you <laughs> and that's like what i need on this shoot you know not necessarily like i need like this certain kind of shooter and you know, you're perfect, but I'm still not gonna choose you. I mean, I think it's like at a point, it's about schlepping gear and getting it where it's gotta go.
0: <laughs> so you're uh, your photographer reel just needs to show you with this like triple oversized backpack, like hiking along a ridge, getting the shot. Dude, People I feel like, like oh, it already does. Carry heavy <laughs> I
2: carry <laughs> yeah, so totally. much stuff. No, not really, but I do. I do feel like I carry too many bags. Um but yeah, I I mean I always think about uh climbing and film and photography is so much about access though right it's like it are those absolutely the best shooters ever um maybe maybe not obviously they've gotten good at it because they've been doing it so long but at some level it's like you could get a, I don't know Anne Lebowitz or some crazy <laughs> photographer but you she can't access these places so it's about the access as much as it is the artistry. <music>
0: We'll be back with more after the break. I've been a North Face athlete for almost 18 years, which has been incredible, and I've always appreciated their commitment to exploration. Summit Series is the name of the pinnacle North Face products that I use on every expedition, and I love that their tagline is athlete tested and expedition proven. I've personally tested these products all over the world and they've always proven themselves. Future Fleece is the next generation base layer that I wear almost every day of climbing outside, whether on the wall or at the crag. You can shop the full summit series collection at the I first found chorus when I was looking for a GPS watch that could track my biggest outdoor adventures. I needed something with a massive battery life that was also robust enough to handle the climbing. As it turns out, Coros is the only GPS watch brand that has done some serious development for climbers, from multi-bitch GPS tracking to indoor programmed workouts. The watches have a mind-blowing battery life. The Vertex watch series lasts for more than 100 hours in GPS activities, so I only need to charge it once every several weeks. I only need to charge my watch so sporadically that I can never find the charger, because I haven't used it in six weeks. <laughs> if you're interested in bringing new technology into your climbing training and tracking, you should consider their new Vertex 2S. Go to chorus.com and use the code Gold to secure a free watch carabiner with the purchase of your new Vertex 2S.
2: Getting into the story behind why people are doing these things and making it really interesting to people is probably the hardest part. And yeah, making a really compelling story about kind of the same thing over and over, right? Like just dude trying to send whatever rock, not dude or lady, you know? And like really pulling out the nuances of that with personalities and stuff that can bring somebody in. Most of the people I go and shoot with, if we're not friends, we become friends by default of like being on a long shoot with somebody and being with them every day for a few weeks or whatever that is, or they've asked you to come on the trip to begin with, because you're already a friend and they would be open to spending a month with you (laughs) to start with. Um, And yeah, I am a person that in a really hard moment, I will kind of recoil into my humanity and I will put down a camera if something is really hard. I'm not a person that like, oh, it's like the thing is happening like the worst thing ever is happening and I'm gonna get this like I'm not that person
0: <laughs> really you you miss the money shot
2: <laughs> I can miss the money shots yeah if they come down to that I mean if it's just somebody in tears and like a hard moment I I, I can get it but if it gets really really grim I my my humanity will often step in <laughs> over that stuff
0: yeah, you need that that killer instinct when, right? the, when, when it all starts to go sideways and people are crying and yelling at each other and you're just filming right in the middle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have that. I don't have that tick.
0: So you come down more on the team member side where you're sort of a, a member of the expedition that's documenting it, but you know ultimately there to, to help and support and, and be a member of the team.
2: yeah I mean I'm way like filming and all that stuff literally came into my life so I could climb not like I was obsessive about film and telling these epic stories and that's happened and then climbing just happened to be what I do it's like always been sort of secondary but I do love it and I love aspects of it but does that mean I'm going to put my camera in everybody's face just to like get some whatever footage like no absolutely not that's not my personality at all
0: so is it possible to both climb well and shoot at the same time
2: definitely yeah I think it is I mean I definitely I mean I had a day where I sent one of my hardest routes it's like 13d in Oleana and I got up and I shot Anna Lena right after you know but if it's not really on your own watch and someone's like hey you got to hang on this line or hike up this thing and carry all this stuff for three days and then you're going to go back and try your hardest project ever like it's gonna it's gonna be hard
0: (laughs) yeah it takes a toll
2: it takes a toll yeah so i think there's a real being realistic there
0: through through climbing gold we've talked to a lot of older climbers like climbers from last generation who grew up in a time when it wasn't really possible to be a professional climber like the industry didn't exist and that was kind of true for a lot of the original outdoor photographers or videographers and things like that as well, because mm-hmm. people kind of did it as a hobby, but you couldn't really make a living at it or they could, but it was a major uphill struggle. Mm-hmm. How, how does that feel for you now? I mean, is that still the case or, how, you know, what is the state of the industry now, do you think?
2: I mean, I think this job has worked for me in the sense that I am comfortable in um, that level of change right I think like the kind of filming I do the ty- things how I shoot it's like you kind of have to roll with what's happening I think any freelance work is a uphill battle like if anybody that does anything with arts or that's freelance like you have to be quite driven and you have to be willing to like take those punches and you have to be okay with dealing with that kind of insecurity um again, maybe that was a little bit of my strength coming at it from, Hey, I just want to climb and be on the road. I'm not worried about owning a house. I'm not worried about these like more adult things. Um, at the same time, yeah, there's more money in the industry. Like, but do I really think there's like a huge window for everybody that's like interested in climbing photography to be like Jimmy Chen? I don't know. Maybe those Maybe that's happening more. I think it's still a niche world. I mean, I've taken a lot of different jobs within this time to be able to like make my own climbing movie. It's not like I've just made my living off of that. I've done a lot of things to make it work.
1: What do you think it is that keeps you going with this
2: career? I think it's to me more the places that it takes me and less maybe an exact moment that I'm filming. It's like... The experience of going in to, uh, a place and like have people let you in, um, I went to a trip to Ethiopia where we shot with this young girls running team. And at one point the, the young girls, cause it was, it's a pretty like the men are with the men, the women are with the women. And I almost think I got brought in as a filmer to be able to kind of go into those spaces and this young girls they were probably the ages of like nine to 11 or whatever. They literally like, kind of like swooped me out of the group and just like took me into the little streets <laughs> of their town. And they were like buying candy. And of course they were, I couldn't understand anything they're saying. And I just have my camera and they're just like, kind of like letting me in. And they have this tradition in Ethiopia where they feed you. They like put the food in your mouth because of a great famine, that happened during one of their civil wars. And um, so it's like this way that they sort of give to you and they were all just like feeding me all this stuff. And just like, I don't know, it was definitely a moment of being like, whoa, I'm like just let in and I have this camera and they're letting me just kind of film them in this moment. So yeah, I think that was a really a special thing because I think your camera can feel so intrusive, right? Like I'm here, like taking something, right. It feels a little bit like you're trying to extract from a situation, um, rather than just pay it homage, right? Like this is so beautiful, or this is so special, or this is so strong. And I just like other people should know that this is happening. And I hope somebody else could like feel some of this just a little bit.
0: Classic. So you're taking over Fitz's booth, and Fitz is just going to call in separately.
3: Yeah, I think so. I was in Seattle today, so that's
0: when you know that you're a. That's when you know you're a guest of honor when you get to take over the main. Yeah, booth. you
3: push him out of their own space. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, you just usurped his office. <laughs> yeah. Now Fitz is just uh, sent to the street. When did you get back from Pakistan?
3: Like a month ago, I got back, and like the day I returned, I got hit with like a nine-day living on the toilet. Stomach virus. <laughs> it was pretty, oh. pretty classic. <laughs> My name is Austin Sidak and I am a freelance photographer and cinematographer, mostly working in the outdoor climbing industry. I ba- I joke that like I basically am really good at getting into places that most people are too scared to go to. <laughs> You know, I just basically go to really dangerous places in far-flung reaches of the world with a camera in hand and hang out on a tiny little rope swinging around the side of a mountain and try to just hold the camera still while I point it at people like yourself. <laughs> um, Washington has kind of always been my home one way or another, although I spent the better part of a decade living in various vans and vehicles driving and living around the American West. <laughs> haven't, haven't we all? You know? Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> uh, if you take a look at a, like a broader macro level, that most of the quote-unquote successful people in this industry are all kind of that same life path and trajectory. No one like ever went to school for any of this, no one even, uh, most of the people I know never even went to a film school or a photo school. It was all people who were just living that life to begin with and picked up a camera along the way. You know, I was, I was around the time that I was graduating from college and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I uh, just knew that I loved being outside, I loved climbing. And it was something I, that even though I'd never picked up a camera before, um, I thought to myself, you know, like, I think I maybe would be interested in doing that. Like, that looks really cool. That seems inspiring. I spent, you know, half of my meager life savings at the time to buy a computer with some editing software and a very basic um, DSLR camera and tried to more or less teach myself how to use it all. Because, it was, you know, I'd never studied any of it in school. I had graduated from college by that point and um, was really self-taught in all of it.
0: You just you just thought to yourself if Jimmy can do it how hard can it be like I can surely do that
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Totally totally
0: <laughs> More after a word from our sponsors Element is a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix formulated with a science backed ratio of sodium to potassium to magnesium Each packet delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes, free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It tastes great, and I've used it extensively on expeditions. Element is formulated for anyone looking to restore health through hydration, and is perfectly suited for athletes, folks who are fasting, or those following keto, low-carb, whole food, or paleo diets. Try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, they'll refund your order, no questions asked. So whether you're new or returning Element customer, you can get a free Element sample pack. With any drink mix order, when you go to drinkelement.com slash climbinggold. That's drinklmnt.com slash climbinggold. Dr. Squatch crafts natural, high performance personal care products with no harmful ingredients. I don't shower often, but when I do, I use Dr. Squatch. I especially like the Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap. From soap to shampoo to conditioner, they help me look, feel, and smell my best for whatever adventure I choose. They're offering new customers 20% off any purchase with the code gold, Or you can go to DrSquatch.com slash Dr. DrSquatch, get dirty, stay clean. You've shot on basically the most difficult big walls in the whole world. I mean, there's basically nowhere in the world that's harder to shoot than the places that you've shot. I mean, can you just lay out some of, some of these places that you filmed?
3: I climbed to the summit of Torre Eger with Marc Andre when we were filming The Alpinist. Last summer, I climbed to the summit and was on the wall with um, Emily Harrington and Adrian Ballinger on this uh, mountain called Peak Slasova, which is a huge vertical wall in the mountains of Kyrgyzstan on the border with Tajikistan. Just a month ago, I got back from spending six weeks in Pakistan on Trango Tower with Jacoba Larcher and Babsi Zangel, Um on this route eternal flame and you know the reality is most all these places are vertical to overhanging walls of 1000 meters or more in very remote places often with snow and ice you know covering all the ledges or the definitely the possibility of a massive storm coming in at any time and i mean you're probably right they are you know in terms of places where people have tried to go film they're among the most difficult to get to in the world for sure
0: yeah, it's funny because you don't even mention the things that we've done together because they've been on El Cap, you know, camping. <laughs> well, on like, we, yeah. spent a, we, we spent three days camping on El Cap, we did the no speed record together. But by comparison to the truly remote places that you film, those are those are completely benign. But I think to yeah, the average you know? to the average listener, they think like, oh, wow, you filmed multi-day ascents on El Cap. That's pretty hardcore. And you're like, totally. no, that's not even that's not even the interesting stuff compared to going to Pakistan, going to Patagonia, going to, you know, the whole rest of the world. I mean, those are truly remote and truly difficult
3: there's a lot of really amazing stories that have come out of Yosemite and mostly on El Capitan because one, some really cool things have gone down there. You know, you know, you climbed it without a rope and Tommy and Kevin did this incredible, you know, saga up there for years and years. And, but the reality is, is a lot of that is has to do with, with the access that El Capitan provides. It's relatively speaking, incredibly easy to go film on El Cap. You know, you can walk to the top, <laughs> it's at low altitude, there's bolts all over the place for fixing lines. And that's very different from going up somewhere where, you know, you might not even have bolted anchors or, you know, there's only one route that you can go up and down and, um, you, you know, there's no easy way off the summit, there's 25 repels to get down, you know, in a best case scenario.
0: Speaking of hard places to film, I mean, can you talk about filming with mark andre on on Tori Ager? you know when when you were filming that that section for the Alpinist, you know what was that whole experience like?
3: That was a really interesting experience, so that took place actually quite some time ago though we filmed that in almost exactly six years ago, like late September of two thousand and sixteen uh, and that was an interesting experience because Mark was willing to have it be filmed, but he didn't want to have like a huge film crew, and so he only wanted like one person to come down. and I had known him for a couple of a few years at that point, and we had climbed together and spent some time shooting together before, and so he was willing to have me come down. Um, I think one thing that a lot of people who have watched the film didn't realize is that he actually did the climb first he had soloed Torre Egger prior to me arriving in El Chalten which is the town on the edge of the mountains down there in in Argentine Patagonia and then after I arrived we went back into the mountains and we uh, reclimbed the peak we reclimbed the route um, basically recreating his solo along the way so we would go up He would he led the vast majority of the route. I think I led three out of 30 pitches on the route, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, on something like El Cap. It's very easy to get to the top of, you know, and so oftentimes the film crew will hike to the summit and rappel down and fix the entire rope with fixed lines in place to Jumar on and swing around on to allow really easy access for filming the subjects involved. But on Torre Egger, which is this remote, huge 1,000-meter or 900-meter wall in, in the middle of Patagonia, you know, there's there's no way you could get to the top of it without a helicopter. And so we had to go from the bottom, but we wanted to film him as if he was soloing it. And so the way we tackled that project is he would lead a pitch. I would Jumar it as quickly as possible with a backpack on my back with a, our bivvy gear. And then I would get to the anchor... He would simultan. He would then rappel down like, eighty feet, and then he would simply untie from the rope, and I would pull the rope back up to me, and then he would solo back up to where I was while I was filming him doing it. Um, and we climbed the entire route, doing that system. So you know, he climbed the route you know one and a half times, basically just to do the filming you know, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure that you've had people ask you about this all the time or been around people like Jimmy or Mikey getting asked this question all the time of, oh, what's it like to film someone who's soloing? Like, isn't that so scary, et cetera? Um, Because, you know, they could fall and die right in front of your eyes. Um, But on that project, I never remember being really concerned about Mark falling and And dying because he was just so comfortable and um, so in his element up there. I think in retrospect, we maybe hung it out a little too far. And if he had fallen, I would have been in a very bad situation because he had our tagline attached to him, and he had like a bunch of of the rack on his harness to know make it look real. But if he had fallen, I would have been, you know, halfway up toward Agar with a single 60-meter rope and a meager rack, and all the repels on that mountain are set up for 60-meter repels, you know? So I would have been, like, trying to just survive my way down building anchors and trying to not use up all my gear on the way. <laughs> Most people probably would say that Mark choosing to go try to solo the East Pillar Of Edgar was a fairly visionary thing to go do. And yet, in the moment in being up there with him, it made me realize oh, you know, so many things that I think people consider crazily impressive or mind blowing a sense are actually totally possible. It's just simply sometimes people don't, what's the best way to describe it? People just don't think they can do it. But if you actually go try it, it's actually not as crazy as it seems. Like, I felt like when I was up there with him, I was like, yeah, it probably would have taken me longer, but like, I probably could have like rope soloed this thing. I wouldn't have free soloed as much as he did. And I wouldn't have moved as fast, but these things are possible. And he just simply had a, Mark Andre just had a mindset of like, oh yeah, I can, I can go do that. Like I'll figure it out. And it was, I don't know, that was definitely an inspiring thing that I took away from that, from that experience with him yeah sure the
0: crux though is having the the vision and the sort of self-belief to you know because like would you be able to hike out of town by yourself (laughs) with your rope and rack and then spend you know four days camping by yourself beneath the wall it's like no you would hike up there and you'd look at the wall and be like oh my god and then you'd hike back and you'd get some ice cream you know it's like that's that's the difference is like yeah you know know, and because i I feel the same way i'm like you know i probably could do the same thing I, i could probably rope solo that if if i had a but to me the idea of hiking in there, just crossing all the glaciers to get there by myself, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. Like I don't I don't yeah. need to go climb that. And
3: like in like, September when there's not even anyone in town, you know? So yeah. I mean the the rescue is just not an option. Um, of course so I guess that
0: also means that the uh, ice cream shop isn't open, so you don't really not, have anything yeah. else to do. You might as well just yeah. might as well just go climb those walls. Yeah. Sad.
3: We summited in the middle of a growing storm, and I was like, oh, my God, we need to get out of here right now. <laughs> you know, it was dark as we were starting to go down, and he had pioneered a new rap line down this head wall in, in the upper part of the peak that is not the standard descent, and he was like, oh, I've done, the, like, I did this last week when I soloed. Let's just go down this way, and I, of course, I was like, okay, like, you've been up here three times in the last two weeks. Like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. And he was just casual in his element, like not stressed at all. Meanwhile, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to die for sure. Um, (laughs) And the first anchor we get to is like a single nut. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, Mark, we could like, you know, put a second nut in here or something like that would be nice. (laughs) Um, And he was like, "Okay, yeah, that's uh, I guess so. And then the second anchor we got to was in this fully hanging Uh, belay in the middle of this head wall there's no route even anywhere near you and it was like a red c3 and a bad pin like both behind this one flake and i remember he i was like is that good and he was like yeah like it worked last time like i'm sure it's fine and he went down leading the next rappel and i remember just sitting at that anchor as the wind is howling around us in the dark looking at this anchor with my headlamp being like well I think there's a good chance this is just going to rip out of the wall at any moment. And I eventually just had turned my headlamp off so I didn't have to at least look at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this gear looks so bad. I'm just going to turn off the lights so I don't even have to look at it anymore. <laughs> so, so bad. A couple repels later, the rope got caught when we were pulling it. And I was like, "Oh fuck!" And I went to grab my grigri to put Mark on belay so he could climb up to go grab it. But before I could even pull my grigri out to belay him, he had just like untied from the unclipped from the anchor, and he just soloed up like forty feet in the middle of the night at like two o'clock in the morning as a storm is raging, in boots and crampons up some like five nine pitch to go retrieve the route or the rope, and then he just down climbed back to the belay. So he was just. So comfortable in that environment. It was it was interesting. It was I he was far more comfortable than I was in that environment, that's for sure. I think
0: he was probably more comfortable than anyone else in the world in that kind of environment. That's
3: probably true.
1: <laughs> Are there moments that you've captured that felt really powerful to you, but for whatever reason yeah. like didn't make a finished film?
3: Uh, definitely there's there's one from filming with Marc Andre in Patagonia that definitely comes to mind where we weren't even on the mountain we were in town kind of looking out over the all the peaks at sunset mark was playing a bunch of music on his iphone and we're just sitting there the song rocket man by elton john comes on and he starts telling me about how he listens to this song all the time when he's in the mountains because it really obviously it's not quite about the same thing but for him it it, he was like oh it kind of feels like what I'm doing you know I'm a rocket man out there on my own <laughs> far away from all my family and friends just doing my thing and and he started and he was singing along to it and it was this really kind of cool beautiful moment but of course we could never use it because it would cost so much money to license that song for the film that you know of course it was never included um so that is one that definitely definitely comes to mind I do remember also on that film there was a funny moment where we came back and we like immediately went to a bar in town and like kind of got shitfaced, <laughs> I think. And I was filming him and and Mark st- lamented that it was sad that you, Alex and Colin don't really drink because you never get to have that experience after <laughs> a big climb. He's <laughs> like, oh man, they they just come back and like eat carrots. Like that's that's so so sad. <laughs> no, um, I'm trying to think of anything from Kyrgyzstan that if,
0: if marc Andre had uh, lived long enough, he maybe would have come full circle like Colin though. He'd be like, "Well, I've partied hard enough, and I've done enough, and totally. now I'm now I'm clean living." You know? Totally. But your your experience with marc Andre on on Agar though is an interesting example of when filmmaking is basically as much like you're as much a climbing partner as a filmmaker at that point like how do you personally differentiate between you know your your film subject versus your climbing partner because for a lot of the projects that you're working on those are the same thing like Mm -hmm. you are filming the your partner and you know you're both working together to not only get up and down the peak safely but to also make a decent film together but at the same time I mean when you're filming you are very separated I mean you know you're just documenting whatever they're doing Mm -hmm. I I don't know is is there a distinction I mean how do you know how do you think about that
3: um I don't I don't see a huge distinction in my mind although I do agree that as soon as you kind of swing away from them and set up for a shot and press record it it is an interesting thing I guess you're right where you're totally in something together living a shared experience and then all of a sudden like boom with the click of a button things are instantly different it's all of a sudden it's Okay, we are here to work on this professional project, and you are going to climb, and I am going to film, and we're going to do that for the next seven minutes and 30 seconds. And then you're going to be at the end of the pitch, or the shot's going to be over, and then I'm going to hit record again, and then we'll just be bantering back and forth. And yeah, like I'll, if you need some gear, like I'll hand you a piece of gear or something. But it's, it's, it is, it is, I guess you're right. It is an interesting, it's a constant back and forth of we're together, things are good. Um, like just living the same experience and then boom, things are separate. We're totally on different planes. And it is an interesting constant like roller coaster back and forth in that regard, I would say. From my perspective, I do try, try to approach things from a fairly rigid documentarian standpoint at, in some regard and not, not try to influence the outcome one way or another for the subject if I can. Um, at the end of the day, I am trying to just film them experiencing what they're experiencing without, um, changing it myself. And if someone's, if like, there's actually like a safety piece involved and they're like, holy shit, like throw me your rope or give me a piece of gear. Like I feel really (laughs) unsafe, then I'll step in. But short of that, you know. If they're going to take a big fall, then, well, like, I really want to capture them taking a big fall, you know, (laughs) as long as it's going to be safe.
0: Wasn't it with you on uh, on La Nina that variation we did on El Nino where uh, where I mm-hmm. asked you for a rescue but you just weren't able to get the rope around fast enough and I wound up climbing this really yes. scary pitch yeah yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that's exactly well, I was like <laughs> help me help me and then, uh, and you just couldn't get the ropes around fast enough and I wound up just hanging there forever and I wound up just climbing this kind of like five twelve R like rotten yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. scary totally, crack totally. <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was one of those classic times where you beg the photographer for help and the photographer just can't help you fast enough I mean, which which wasn't your fault, this because we were on a overhanging wall and the ropes are too far away, and it's just it was a difficult position to be in. But I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna die up here!" It was really scary. I thought I was gonna rip the whole pitch. It was such such bad rock and such bad gear, and it was very scary.
3: <laughs> the bigger conflict that I often run into is having to decide when to even pull out the camera and film at all because I'm so busy or have to deal with something just to make sure that I'm safe and that the team as a whole is safe. For example, on this most recent trip, just a month and a half ago or so, when I was in Pakistan and we were at 20,000 feet on Trango Tower and we had gone back up on the mountain to refilm some of the crux pitches, you know, we're way up there, 25 pitches up this route at 20,000 feet in the Karakoram. And this huge thunder and lightning snowstorm rolls in kind of out of nowhere. And, but we're, we're trying to film these pitches that we need to film to get the footage that we need for this, the movie that we're trying to make. And we're really pushing it to the very, very last minute. I had to make a call to like, we'd had to, we need to get off this mountain alive. And so we need to just not film this. And we need to start going down right now. And so we just made the call to bail because it was starting to snow sideways. It was clear that it wasn't the weather wasn't gonna get any better. And we were still 12 pitches above our last camp, you know, a 1, 1,200 feet down the mountain. And we needed we needed to get down safely. And so that was a time when we had to stop filming and we had to fully forgo the filming part of it just because we needed to survive as, as human beings, you know. You know, I started leading the rappels, so I'm, like, wrapping down the mountain with, you know, a 70-pound haul bag between my legs. And it's snowing sideways, and the rope is getting covered in snow and ice, and there's, like, thunder and lightning booming around us. And I'm like, well, this is pretty real. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so that that usually is the, the hardest part for me is when, you know, I don't know. I can even think of some of my peers who would probably be quote, I don't know, quote unquote, like better than I am in that moment. And they would keep the camera rolling somehow, but I'm, you know, in, I was like, I need to focus on just the actual climbing logistics and getting off the mountain and getting down. And so I put the camera away and didn't pull it out at all. And you know, none of that is on camera, um, which yeah, is kind you're of a bummer, focused
0: on, but... <laughs> uh, self-preservation.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, that, that seems like the appropriate call. <laughs> It's funny because, I mean, a lot of photographers or videographers say that, like, when it all starts to go sideways like that, that's when you get the shot. That's when you need need the camera. But then, yeah, yeah, it's funny, though, because, uh, you know, being on the other side of the lens, I'm always slightly bitter when the photographer or videographer (laughs) is still just, like, shooting. And you're like, we have to get out of here. We are over it. (laughs) Like, like shoots over. We're going home. And they're just still rolling, being like, this is money. And you're like, we're all going to die. You know, it's really hard to know when to pull the plug. Because then the thing is, is that is that when someone doesn't pull the plug, then you wind up with a film like Meru, you know, where you have like Renan and Jimmy in like horrendous conditions, just still shooting, still shooting. And then mm-hmm. you wind up with this epic footage, but you're kind of like, man, maybe they should have gone home, <laughs> you know, like not carried the extra weight of the camera not, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard to say.
3: Totally. It, it, it depends on what, what's the story that you're trying to create, you know, at the end of the day, if, if the story that you're trying to create, if you want to. To create a story that is about the epic adventure of it, then yeah, you probably want to keep filming when that's happening. I think, I think there is kind of a responsibility from both the um, production side, but also even from the audience side, where I think that I would hope that most people who are even listening to this podcast right now Would understand that anything that you are seeing that is like a created film or project or something has some level of curation to it like don't Mm. expect something to be a true complete unadulterated reality if you're seeing something that's actually been edited into a film the chances are is that it's been massaged
0: though I mean this raises a whole other interesting point with with filmmaking and storytelling in general is is the the is when the film starts to replace the actual memory you know for like a subject of one of these films like Hmm. once you've seen the film Hmm. like with me watching free solo a bunch of times at a certain point like i don't really remember the experience anymore i just remember the film because it's really easy to remember a film yeah yeah well with, with a lot of different things like that i mean you know well think of like at least for me when i think of uh childhood memories a lot of my childhood memories are the ones that i have photos of You know, like the photo that I've seen on the wall at my mom's house my whole life. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember that really well. But it's not because I remember the experience. It's because I remember the photo. You know, (laughs) and and it's the same with with I think a lot of these video projects is that, you know, at a certain point, the the final product becomes the reality because nobody quite remembers it that well anyway. You know, it's like the final edited film just becomes the story because, you know, after a few seasons, you kind of forget the specifics of it. But the film is always there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think really is just—it's is a testament to how important it is for the filmmakers, to be honest, because you know that's the thing that's going to—it will stand become the, the reality. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah.
3: Most of what you see in climbing films, even if it's something purporting to be like a first ascent or at the cutting edge of 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 climbing, it probably isn't at the very edge of of things that are being done because the most truly badass stuff is so difficult and remote and out there that there's not even room for a film team to be involved at all and that there's really incredible things happening all the time that you're never going to see a film about because they would just be way too difficult or impossible to have a film team there you know what i'm saying if 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 there's a, like a big production film cre- film team there to begin with it usually means that what you're seeing is probably really cool but it's maybe not as truly on the edge as it might be purporting itself to be. Um I don't know. It's like something that I feel like I need to explain to people sometimes.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like if you're <laughs> watching it on film then it's not truly cutting edge.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With some with, note, with, with exceptions. Yeah, with rare yeah, yeah. exceptions. <laughs> That's um, and, I, and I think that that makes those exceptions even more special, personally, yeah. um, because of how difficult it is to pull those things off.
1: Thanks, Colette and Austin, for sharing your stories and perspectives. Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape Then Beer. Alex Carrots Honold is our host. Today's episode was written and edited by me, Fitz, kick to the street, Cajal. Additional editing by Matt Martin. Music today by Brendan O'Connell, Cordelia Zars, Dame Asu, Wildness, and Faring. Tracks are courtesy of the Artists or Trek Club. Production help from Lauren Delaney Miller, Jake Wheeler, and Skylar Perwins. Our executive producers are Jonathan Retzik and Ben Indy for RxR Sports, and Lisey Hendricks and Becca Cahal for Duct Tape Than Beer. Thanks for listening.